Hey there, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Wagner Dos Santos, and this is Wagner Live. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Tara Hunt. She was named one of the most influential women in technology by Fast Company, Woman to Watch in Entrepreneur Magazine. And if that wasn't enough, she also wrote a book, The Woofy Factor, The Power of Social Networking, which was published in seven languages. And I saw there was en français as well. Uh, she's a frequent public speaker at such events at TEDx, South by Southwest, and she has a very popular YouTube web series. If you haven't checked it out, you should, called Truly Social with Tara. So I am very honored and privileged to introduce to you my guest, Ms. Tara Hunt. Hi Hello. there. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm thank you. Excited. Thank you for coming uh, all the way from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a, quite a trip on the internet all the way. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the interwebs were, were just going <laughs> along, trying to push you through. Well, thank you so much for, for making the time to, um, uh, to be on the program. Um, first and foremost, I have to say, and I think you know this already, that I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Um, I think that my personal experience with you and your personal brand um, was uh, really through your web series. And I forget who had suggested that I take a look at some of them, but I did. And then it became something I passed on to my social media marketing team. And I told them, listen, you have to check her out, especially some of the young ones coming up. It's like, okay, if you don't believe me, listen to Tara. She's saying the same thing, okay? And and I think that's one of the things that resonated is um, there was those moments that uh, I heard you say some things that I thought, oh, wow, somebody else is saying that too, so I can't be wrong. And, uh, and of course, some nuggets of like, huh, I, I didn't know that's a re really good hmm. idea. So, um, so I'm very honored to have you because uh, uh, I definitely, um, everything you say really connects with me and I think it will with my audience. Um, now, first and foremost, I would be remiss if I didn't start by saying that, I don't know, will you be Hunt for very long or will that last name change because you were recently married? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll always be Tara Hunt. Uh, I love my husband and his name is great. It's, uh, he's, it's a strong Portuguese name, Pacheco. But um, Tara Hunt is just such a, it's like four, it's eight letters in total. Like you can't really beat that as far no. as the name goes. Uh, <laughs> no, pretty, it's, too, it's too catchy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm an old dog and I don't like to learn new tricks. So yeah, <laughs> Tara Hunt it will be. Although in his family, they may call me, you know, they might write it down as Pacheco and I won't. I won't call it that. So you say, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm I'm of Portuguese descent too, but that's for oh. maybe another conversation. My my family's from Portugal and uh, from Porto, and oh, nice. uh, and I have family in Brazil too. So oh, lovely. I love the Portuguese people. Um, so um, congratulations. Thank you. First of all, and um, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about about you and your history. So. Here's another thing that uh, resonated with me. Um, about a year ago or so, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you had, uh, it, it was a very crucial period of your time where you had lost your job, right? And and this was after a, a career of, uh, a very successful career. And, uh, and it seemed that, uh, you know, I saw, uh, one of your first, well, not one of your first videos, but it was the, the pre-video to what became Truly Social with Tara. And um, you, you really were very candid 
and Frank about what had happened. And I'll tell you real quick, and then I want to hear from you about this, but I, um, I recently lost my job and uh, was... Thank you. That's how I feel now. You know, I <laughs> probably didn't feel that the day of, but yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, and, and it would be too long of a story to discuss now, but um, the way that it happened was very bizarre in some ways. I think that you felt kind of shocked about your situation. And so I really connected with your story because when it happened, it, I was told that I was, you know, there was interest for moving me to a consultant and then I was told, let's make your last day this day. And I said, where's my, uh, where's the contract for the consultancy? And I, if you don't want me, tell it was very weird. And fortunately, I had seen the writing on the wall for a little bit. So I wasn't completely shocked because I saw some weirdness going on. So I've been starting my new agency idea. And so I launched my new agency a little sooner than I expected, but I'm much happier for it. So tell, tell us your story. Yeah, so I think similarly, there were there were some signs for sure for a while that the position and the company weren't what I originally went there for. So I was hired because I wanted to, at the company that I was at, wanted to expand their digital capabilities. And uh, they're traditionally a print company, a print organization really great at making magazines like can make magazines like nobody's business and uh they had more and more clients that were phasing out their so they did magazines for big brands uh, including like geico right and so they had client those clients were starting to phase out the magazines because they're expensive and you know the reports were that people were throwing them out and so and also like they're you know magazines aren't googleable right so people when they so they understood a lot of these clients they understood the power of content online and then you know if we put the content online which this is what baffled me too is a lot of the magazine content didn't even get published online in that framework so they brought me in saying, you know, like, let's let's do this. Let's build out our digital capabilities. And, uh, you know, you're the right one to do. You've been doing content for all these years. Great. Um, and was working on putting together products and pitching this to the clients. And it looked like we were getting some headway. But then some changes in the broader organization happened that were like, oh, why would they get rid of that department? Because that department was taking them into this sort of digital space. Oh, and they just mm. bought a big printing plant. Um, that doesn't make much sense when we're moving in the digital age. And it just right. turned, so it turned out, so there was that going on. So um, I, was, I wasn't thinking about agency, but I started to actually interview at some other places and poke around for other jobs because I thought, you know, something just doesn't seem right. They're letting go of people that are that have really amazing digital backgrounds and they're they're investing in a lot of traditional print stuff. And sure enough, they made the announcement. Um, yeah, we're moving towards, you know, but you know, since everybody's going digital, we're just gonna like double down on print. <laughs> <laughs> and uh um, you know, meanwhile I was like, Oh, oh okay. And then my boss was like yeah, so we should talk about uh, some stuff this afternoon. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I just, I, I kind of knew going into that meeting what that meant for me. 
Right. So it wasn't necessarily uh, any fault of my own or, you know, mm -hmm. it was just sort of, uh, and, I, you know, maybe, you know, I bit, beat myself up a little bit for a few weeks thinking, well, maybe I could have implemented my strategies stronger right. and quicker and like uh, sold the products better to the clients. You know, one of the problems is that the sales like to the clients to upsell them wasn't going so well because they were already being repped by um, like PR agencies and um, advertising agencies who always also wanted to get into content and they had been teaching sure. them content as well. So how were they to trust us with content when we didn't have any digital background, but they had a, a digital agency of record and a PR agency right. that, you know, has a history of this stuff. So, right. so, yeah, so it was a bit of an uphill battle for them anyway. We'll see. Well, how. I have. I wish them luck. I, <laughs> I I have something to tell you. Uh, I've I've got I have this big idea. All okay. right, you ready? Yeah. I, um, everybody's doing tablets. I'm going to do something called the Notepad. <laughs> Brilliant. I yeah. Love it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sounds good. It'll be big. It'll be huge. <laughs> I'm going to start staffing for it. <laughs> um, you jest, well, but you know, look at Molson, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Yes, and and I see all the the millennials and the Gen Zs. They're all with their moleskins, and and I'm thinking, shouldn't you be on a tablet? Oh no, this paper thing's really cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Well, so you know, you you um, you studied at um, um, at the University of Calgary. Uh, you were a communications and cultural um, uh, studies uh, major, and you. Um, at that time, I mean, you, you've had such a journey and you've had a, an interesting, a really interesting career, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. Did you did you plan for that career? And I, one of the, part of the question is that, you know, you talk a lot in a, about um, not so much be, wanting to be in an agency and that an agency model is kind of um, has kind of collapsed, if you will, or, or um, isn't as um, uh, relevant and so kind of curious with the path that you've taken which is somewhat progressive did you see that when you were studying back then or what did you want to do when you grew up so I've always hated the question where do you see yourself in five years or ten years <laughs> because I always answer the same way like I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be doing whatever hasn't even been thought of yet um, and I think I actually in some of my early job interviews had like answered something not not that um, not that insightful, but probably like, I don't know. I don't think even what I want to, what I'm going to be doing hasn't been invented. Right. I might've said, and then right. I get, I get the, yeah, this one's not prepared <laughs> kind of like <laughs> response off you go. I uh, sure. didn't get the job. Um, but yeah, so I've, you know, from the early part of my career, you know, I've been really entrepreneurial because a lot of where my gut was taking me and where my, experience was leading me was very like new ground and um i have for whatever reason i have a very high tolerance for risk i have since i was um quite young had a very high tolerance for risk so you know uh unlike you know i always thought it was weird when people were like ah yeah well what if it doesn't work out you know i always thought yeah, i have like life FOMO. I've had life FOMO from the time I guess I was really young where I was like, 
but what if I, what if it does work out? Like, and I miss it. I could, I can't miss anything. So for me, uh, for me, that, that sort of life FOMO as well as, and you know, the high tolerance risk uh, for risk, and then like an insane amount of curiosity combined uh, led me down a path, but I haven't always like hit the mark on the path too. Like I've had some really bad, like, Whoa, that's a wall. I'm going to have to turn around and go back and, uh, and try that again. So it's not that everything's been a success, not by sure. any means. I've had some, some major, uh, major disasters and, uh, well, it's fair to say that uh, many of the successful people uh, in our history have had many failures, and that's what uh, finally uh, arrived them to success, right? Yeah, well, for sure. <laughs> it's like, uh, the, the, what do they say? Like, um, yeah, the salesman has to have like 20 calls to get one yes or no's to get one yes or whatever. And good sales right. and really good sales people are the persistent ones that will get through the 19 to get to the one yes, right? And so a good entrepreneur yeah. will get through the 19 failures to get to the one success. Um, right. But right. yeah, but you kind of drive the people in your life around you kind of crazy, right? So between my parents who have spent their life worrying about me as well as bailing me out many times, let me say, thank you, mom and dad, you're awesome. Um, and then uh, my husband, of course, who uh, has been wonderfully uh, tolerant and actually very encouraging uh, through the time that we've been together, um, but at times has been like, okay, so, um, let that go and uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, move yeah, on. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I th I think it's it's commendable. Definitely, uh, not everybody is meant to be a risk taker, and so, um, but there are definitely great rewards with great risk, um, and and not the not the reverse. So you, you did you you have ventured into a few different. Uh, companies, um, I think was Rogue Strategies, maybe the, the first? Yeah, that was my very first consultancy. That's where the Miss Rogue comes from. Mm -hmm. So, uh, our, yeah. Our handle, by the way. Yeah, my handle. handle. Yeah, so if you want to find me online, I'm mostly Miss Rogue, although I'm trying to be more Tara Hunt places. Uh, yeah, so uh, I was, uh, and if you, if the next question is where did that come from, uh, which a lot of people do ask, is yes, I am an X Men fan. Um, ah. I, so uh, I actually, funny enough, I my favorite comic book heroes, uh, including Rogue, like I loved all the just the females I could identify with them, but my favorite was like Disco Dazzler. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, but that just didn't sound very good um, as a agency dazzler strategy. Like it just sounded kind of cheesy. So. It, it could be a strip club name too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Actually, that could have been, <laughs> could have been my alter ego on certain sites. But uh, yeah, so that's fine. Um, well, interestingly, about the whole comic book thing is that um, as I've tracked your um, your career um, over the years, especially your most visible online part of the career, because your career really started 
um, before online and the internet became what it is today. Um, but as soon as your face started popping up, you are quite the fashion plate, I must say. You've oh. had ha hairstyles of all sorts. And guys, if, uh, if you don't believe me, just just go and, and Google Tara Hunt or look through her YouTube videos and you will see she has had some of the most amazing hairstyles <laughs> and in different colors. <laughs> yes, many very different. I actually have a Pinterest board that I created a few years back to demonstrate how many different hair styles and colors I've I've had over the years so it's it's great yeah. well um, switching off from fashion I I, I want to talk to you a little bit about methodology now um, you um, you are a very big proponent and fan of uh, what you call the post clue train uh, marketing or pinko marketing which uh, if I if I understand is really uh, a true immersive focus on the consumer did do you want to unpack that a little bit yeah so uh, the idea is well so pinko is quite a like it's a term that I was trying to push back in I think 2005 um, and the or 2005 2006 somewhere back then and the idea was like uh, taking from a historic reference, and believe me, this wasn't very popular when I tried to push it. Uh, Pinko, uh, Pinkos were basically communist sympathizers back in like the 50s. And so I see where you my from. play on it was that I that as a marketer, you should be a consumer sympathizer, a customer sympathizer. Instead of always being the sympathizer for the brand, you should really be rallying behind the, the customer. You should be the voice of the customer. And so very early on in my career, that was the core thesis to my entire approach to marketing was like, you know, you hire me brand, but I'm not working for you. I'm working for your customer. And that's the right. that's going to be the best case scenario for everyone involved, including yourself. Like you may want me to be your cheerleader. You may want me to shove everything that you want the consumer to like eat down their throat. But at the end of the day, that's not that's not a healthy relationship. The healthy relationship is where I, as that intermediary, listen to and understand your customer and bring that information back to you to help you improve your products and help you, um, you know, make, create better messaging that, you know, resonates with your customer that, that helps you uh, provide better service. So the customer loyalty increases, right? So, that was my early thesis, and it's always it's always underpinned everything that I've done is where the customer is, is at the center. And so the Clue Train Manifesto was really uh, the first sort of the first inkling of this. The first thing that I picked up that actually uh, validated my feelings around this, um, and I picked that up in like uh, 1999, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had, I mean, I hadn't said anything about pinko marketing at that time but um i right. was working in marketing and you know i was trying to put my finger on exactly what it was that bothered me about the approach to marketing um and it was always because i very much empathize with the customer and not because i am a customer and i'm a customer first and that's what i used to write that in my bio i'm a customer first marketer second um and i the still Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just gonna say, like to this to this day, like it's it's just baffling to me that like that isn't a stronger, broader movement in marketing. I mean, well, I 
Yeah, I was, I was going to ask about that. So, you know, you have, let's say you have a client and you may have had this client before that says, well, Tara, I'm, I'm paying you um, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars every month. And um, I want, you know, I want to say this, I want to say this and I want to say that, and you're not doing that. And, uh, and I'm paying you this money. Yeah. Well, say? and then I would <laughs> say, uh, you're paying me this money to tell you that you shouldn't be saying this and that. You're you're paying right. you know, like if you if you wanted to just say this and that, you didn't don't have to pay anybody to do that. You just <laughs> you just do you just say that. But if you want to pay somebody that knows what they're you know they're doing and can bring you that information and those ideas and like create that that mediation between the customer and you. Which is a lot of work, and it's a you know it, it it's um, you know there is there are so many moments of tension in that right because I do I sure. also see the I see the brand perspective too I've worked with brands big and small um, and especially I get especially um, caught up in the empathy when it's a small brand because I see how hard they work and they're like you know and then you'll see you'll see customers that are total jerks come along and um try to really take advantage of the small brand as well so like like i almost yeah i almost feel like a mediator in a way um that right. you know that's there to first protect the interests of the customer unless they are actually being a dick and then i'll <laughs> then i will act, then i'll side with the brand right but, well it, it so, this, so that brings up another point. How about uh, reputation marketing? What? How do you, how do you see that um, in terms of the in terms of social marketing as a whole or marketing as a whole? How does that play a part? Yeah. So okay. So I used to be like, if you don't if you don't want a bad reputation, then don't do shitty things, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And then sure. I read yep. John Ronson's. Um, oh, what was the book? What was it called? It was, you know, he goes through the cases of people being like completely, um, uh, absolutely raked across the coals, and um, <laughs> so he went into Justine Sacco's. You know, the the woman that PR woman that tweeted that she was going to Africa and she wasn't going to get get AIDS because she was white, and uh, uh, like all the all the all the moments where people were completely their careers were ruined, their lives were ruined because. Somebody zeroed in on a specific thing they said or did online, and then that's right. and then when and now when you Google them, that's all you can find, right? You, so that exactly. so he talks in John Ronson talks in the book about um, them working with reputation, you know, agencies and helping create more positive Google results for people. And then, you know, right. there's, there's also in uh, the UK, I think it, like in Europe, there's, uh, you can actually uh, apply to have links removed from Google results that are damaging mm -hmm. to your character as well. So right. I think there's like a, it's not a black and white sort of scenario there. What What's happening really is, you know, there are some people who have their, are quoted out of context uh, or brands right. that do something that is, is blown out of proportion. Um, you know, uh, in some cases it's blown out of proportion because they haven't done a very good job of previous to that moment, um, 
building those relationships and that trust so that people give them the benefit mm -hmm. of the doubt. Um, but, it, you know, they haven't right. done anything really wrong. Um, and then, um, you know, and then there's also the case of like, okay, well, that person kind of deserves that <laughs> sort of of course of course uh, so there you know like and thank goodness for the web because if if i didn't google that person and find out that you know they were gonna screw me over that business was gonna screw me over then i would have probably been screwed over so there's like a little yep. bit of both sides where um i'm you know i'm for reputation management when it comes to like all right I performed it was an honest mistake you know something's going on there that um i should be able to move past it right um but also right. like i don't think people should be able to hide um what they've done online either i i agree with you and, and i think that probably it's becoming harder and harder to do that uh to to your point about uh being consumer centric and and uh and being an advocate for the consumer uh, consumers now, as you know, have so much, um, they have so many tools at their disposal that uh, gone are the days, right, of the of the 50s and 60s type of advertising where a pretty jingle and a nice commercial spot could convince you to buy a product that you didn't even need. And today it's more about like, hey, I'm well informed. You, you know, I'm going to go and do my due diligence and I'll pick you if uh, if I like you. And now we support prod, uh, projects on Kickstarter that we don't need. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we've shifted to that <laughs> because it makes us we feel still, good. We still buy things that we don't need and we're still convinced about <laughs> things that we don't need. We're human beings, but it's just a different. Yeah. Now we think we're in control, but we're actually right. <laughs> even less in control than we ever were. Oh my That's God, really the, good the Kickstarter phenomena <laughs> is mind blowing to me uh, that, you know, the, so my, you know, just using my husband as, as an example, he's not a shopper. He does not buy a lot of stuff. He's really good with his money. And he's um, in general, like he, he, he stubs his nose up at the fact, you know, the fact that I do like to shop and everything. I spend too much right. money on random things that just get thrown out. And yet, for months there, every second day, there was a package coming from a Kickstarter project for him, like useless crap that I, that he would use for two days and would like be completely like would not be as advertised at all. No. Um, What's this? What's this? <laughs> and so he just kept buying shit on Kickstarter. And sorry, I keep swearing. And you, I don't know if you have a PG audience. I should have asked ahead of time. But uh but yeah, so he kept buying stuff on Kickstarter and the amount of junk that he accumulated and probably like shipping charges and everything that like random waste of money. And 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 it's and it's actually like a it's a huge issue and I've read a lot of articles and I think people are becoming smarter now that they're not backing as many um projects. I did however almost sure. buy the cooler. Do you remember the cooler? It was a cooler. Yes, yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm yes. glad that I didn't back that baby because oh, really? they haven't, I don't think they've delivered yet. I think oh, that no was kidding. like a huge uh, issue. Yeah. But that, it looked Wasn't it a bunch of college guys that, that put it together or something? All of that is a bunch of college they, guys. They're all, they're all young. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's like, oh, we have big dreams of building this, this thing that's revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. In your backyard with like, 
a couple hundred yeah. thousand dollars of internet money, you know, like that's why I need to go there and say, listen, you young man, back <laughs> in my day, we we were happy with ice in a bag. And we filed a patent and we went down to the <laughs> we flew to China and we talked to right. yeah, like that's right. And I had it mailed it back to show proof on postage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, I'm sorry to get to be the old the old guy now. But you know, it, it's interesting. But both of us, you're 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 quite a bit younger than me. But we we both um, lived through the um, kind of the the pre-internet stage. Uh, one another area that I think you and I have a lot in common is that um, we were, you know, I had a business. Uh, back, oh geez, back in the late 80s, early 90s, where I had a online service that was competing with CompuServe, Delphi, Genie, and all those, and ASCII texts, and you know, um, and that was like a big thing. Everybody with their 9600 baud modems oh, connecting to the computer, ding, right? Ding, ding. <laughs> Exactly. You could tell when that handshake was happening and you could tell when that handshake was not going to happen. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I had a, You've seen a lot. I had a rainbow. I had a rainbow 2000. It was like, it was an awesome computer. I think it was like all the other computers were like green on black. And this one was like white uh -huh. on black. Oh, wow. Like nice. Slick. Yeah. Yes, that was fancy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but do you think much has changed from? I, I see similarities from back then to today. But do do you think a lot has changed with how uh, people utilize um, the web and and social media and uh, versus where they were back in those days? Well, other than there are a lot more people and it's a lot easier to use, right? Back in those mm -hmm. days, you really you really had to be a super geek in order to be part of web communities. And I was a super right. geek, but even, you know, I struggled in, you know, some of the like IRC early days I, I struggled mm. with because it was confusing where yeah. like Usenet groups were like so simple, right? To, you know? right. And when GeoCities came on, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, it, you know, now because everything's so easy to use, you've got everybody online, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, people are, we're all fundamentally, you were using it for fundamentally the same things for connecting right. to others, the whole, like, we want to get, get made late or paid, right? There's that three, <laughs> sort of, uh, three levels of how we why we do this stuff online, why we share. Are we motivated? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, the, you know, that'll never go away. We're humans, but uh, there are just more of us. So uh, the, the, the rules change a little bit. I think what has right. changed now because it's become so mainstream is um, there is a lot more drive towards this whole personal branding, kind of watching yourself online sort of mm -hmm. uh idea where you know I, I don't i feel like a lot of the being able to be yourself part and finding your tribe is i mean it's still there but it's not it's kind of like hidden and anybody that's just coming online nowadays won't really experience that because all they see is like the flash of the the, the big hyped up stuff um, you know, they'll go watch the huge YouTubers or, mm, um, right. Snapchatters or whatever that, you know, and they're, they're like encouraged to grow a huge audience and all this different stuff that when we 
were going online, it was to connect, not just to like become famous or something, right? Like it's very different. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point. By the way, uh, for those of you that are part of the live audience, I'm going to open it up to questions just in just a minute here. And I know there's some of you inserting some stuff in the comment box on Facebook Live. But, you know, to that point, um, I don't know about you, but a pet peeve of mine is where everybody seems to be talking about producing content. And while I love the word content and, and I think content is so important in all, in all shapes and sizes, it started, it's starting to sound like a nasty word because you hear these people that aren't necessarily marketers that they, um, they have a Periscope account and they want to gain an audience so they can be a paid influencer. And they're talking about, I'm on Periscope because I need to produce content. I need to produce content. And it sounds like, you know, it doesn't sound fun when they say it. I mean, I don't know what, have you encountered that? I mean, is it just me? Uh, the first time somebody said to me, like, we need, um, uh, content marketing. And I was like, what's, what what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> and I had been doing that thing that they need since like like the early nineties. So I like I was like I don't understand what that is, and and I've really resisted using that term. But then it's just become so ubiquitous. But it still doesn't. I'm right. still. I don't. It still doesn't sit properly with me because it feels really cold and. Uh, sterile. Mm -hmm. I think in, I can't even remember which video I talked about this, but I did talk about this in a video where it feels much less human and warm um, than it should, where I right. think of it, like, I do like the term creator, which is mm -hmm. the term that's more and more used for people who do create stuff. Um, I like to think right. uh, think of it as stuff online, not content. Um, so um, I do like that because it it does it's like a living, breathing, full of personality kind of label. But uh, content it just seems so lifeless yeah, and dull. It's very clinical, and you know, uh, open yeah. up. Let's see how much content you have there. Uh, <laughs> Oh, and I just wanted um, to quickly say, you know, yes. you, you made a mention in the in early speaking of content um, uh, about my videos and that, you know, they were resonating with you. And I just wanted to say yes. thank you so much, because for me, that's that is my entire goal with the video series. I did not start it to, you know. I did not set out to and to become like some big YouTube star, which I'm definitely not even close to. I think I have just, you know, 2,200 or something subscribers to date. Less, it's less than it's less than a year. <laughs> it's less than a year uh, uh, into it. So that's good. But uh, oh, no, like compared to some YouTubers that are like at six million subscribers. Anyways, not <laughs> comparing myself to them. But uh, the reason I started it and the, the what keeps me going is. Um, is being able to be the voice for people on some level that get it, right? So I say that my show is meant for the people who get it to help them like be their backup um, to the people that don't get it. So when you've been struggling with that client or that boss and you've been telling them like, 
you know, why do we have to schedule a content calendar two months in advance? It just doesn't feel very right. And then I create a video that says like content calendars are antisocial and they're like, yes, I'm sending this to my client right now because I've been trying to tell them this forever. And this is somebody who looks very like very professional, like she knows what she's talking about. So maybe my client will listen to her. Um, that's right. And so that that's exactly why I do it. And uh, I've been asked like, well, why don't you create more how to videos for to like bring in more clients? And uh, because, you know, it, it's meant to help my business as well. Right. So right. why wouldn't I do videos that were like aimed at a unknowledgeable audience to mm-hmm. have them go, oh, I should hire her. Um, instead, I'm alienating the knowledgeable audience <laughs> in my videos. But you know, in an indirect way, I get I get so many referrals from um, people uh, like yourself um, and other people who have watched my videos and been like, "Yes, thank you for saying that. I needed that." Like I've actually had people say, "My God, I was just having this conversation, and you just..." made it so that I won. Like, thank you. Yeah. So, um, and that makes me feel good. So, and those, that, that audience is the audience that when, um, they hear from somebody that they're looking for a company to help them with blah, 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 they recommend me enthusiastically, which is, which is really wonderful. I would rather have a knowledgeable person who directs good leads my way than random leads that I don't want to come my way. For sure. And, you know, one could argue that a, a higher level, more educated client is even more appealing than the one that doesn't even know the basics. Oh my God. I love my clients right now. And it's so good to be in this position because I've been not in this position many years, um, like in the past and just like thinking, God, I wish I could and like could not because I needed the income and now I'm in this position where I'm like I love my clients so much and I would do this work for them for free but don't tell them that (laughs) (laughs) right I I, I, listen I'm with you I had an agency years ago and then went from agency to being an employee so I know you can relate and then now back to agency principal again and I um I'm now at a stage after everything that I've learned that I love my clients. And if I don't, then they won't be my client and life's too short for me to be miserable. Yeah. Uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they're always, but they need to be a little bit trying to, at the same time. Um, I make the joke Mm -hmm. that uh, like, if they do do something that it's like face bomb, then I think that I say, actually, thank you because you just gave me an idea for another video. Ah, very good see that's let me respond to you on on sunday in my video (laughs) that's right that sounds a little passive aggressive very passive aggressive but but i think that's very good well let's see i've had clients go um was that video about me (laughs) no no not at all (laughs) what a coincidence yeah. So let's see what the questions are here, if there are any questions, um, and we'll plug those in. So let's see. Hello, Anna. Hello, Zeph. Zeph Zan is amazing. She also does uh, a great show and podcast. Um, let's see. Um, I had somebody here. It looks like uh, Nancy was here. She was having problems with her 
her, I, I will not mention the name of the company, <laughs> um, just in case they want to be a sponsor someday. Let's hmm. see here. Um, oop. Oh, there we go. I muted that. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, April, Tara, uh, just watch Tara. Stop focusing on stuff that doesn't matter. Video. Love, love, love it. <laughs> mm. um, let's see. Uh, oh, Anna even plugged in the router for this interview. That's that's big. Thank you, Anna. Yes, uh, that, that that that's big news. When you you're not you're not stealing Wi-Fi, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, yeah. So Ed, guys, if you have um, some some questions, these comments are great and and really appreciated. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to throw some in right now. Uh, I'm going to continue with Tara for just a couple more things, but I have a question um, for you. Oh, for me? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Tell me. Dude. Tell me about your. You know, you said you know when you were laid off, uh, let yes. go, that you were thinking about. So, what do you? What's the big idea? What's the, your angle with your agency? Oh, okay. Um, so, so the agency has a very unique name. The name is Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought you know, my former agency that I had years ago, the company was called Beloved. And there's a whole story there why it was called Beloved. But um, I also was never a big fan of the traditional agencies. I wasn't a big fan of traditional agencies, period. But those that had the names of the partners in the agency, like a law firm. Mm. And uh, so I was always opposed to having my name in there. And then this time around, I figured... I, I've had, I've grown such um, uh, a, fortunately, good reputation. Um, there are people that want to work with me or wherever I'm at because of me. So I thought, and Wagner is kind of a unique first name. So why not make that the name of the agency? And, but I decided that I wanted to create an agency that was going to be more niche. And um, I don't believe in the AOR model uh, or the, right. the full service agency model. I think that, um, I think that especially when you're playing with the big boys, if you want to respond to Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 RFPs, um, the the big um, the, the bigger contracts are going to go to your Omnicom companies, your interpublic group companies, um, Havas, and so forth. And then they'll look at niche agencies to kind of rounded out you know they'll uh, bring on an hispanic marketing agency a um a, a unique creative agency a, an experiential agency so so i after years of experience uh, of mine in experiential marketing and social marketing not social media marketing per se uh, but uh, social marketing as a whole i decided to create something that i call social activation marketing and that really is the the, the principle of uh, of the agency is that uh it's to convert consumers into brand ambassadors that want to um that want to lead a movement behind a brand and uh that's uh that's really the core focus of the agency is uh using a lot of different tools to accomplish that but to to really uh get consumers um so that's why i resonate with your focus on consumers because i too believe that consumers um, are the uh, need to be the marketers and the drivers of brands and products and services. So yeah. 
allowing them to lead a movement is really the uh, the force behind the the agency. Yeah, well, word of mouth will always be the strongest form of marketing because you trust you trust your friends and and family. Um, so Absolutely. when you say movement, though, which is this is interesting to me is is mm -hmm. like what do you use as your big case studies, I guess, to mm -hmm. sell that idea in? Well, I think, I think the easiest ones are always going to be, you know, some of the larger brands like a Coca-Cola, for example. But if, if you look at Coca-Cola and there are many others as well, and uh, you look at Axe from Unilever and, and some other brands, but let's use Coca-Cola. I've worked with them for a number of years and worked on the Coke Zero account some years ago. And Coca-Cola has, um, has really uh, over the years found a way to capture the hearts and the emotions of their audience. And, and then the product is secondary, sometimes even tertiary. It's really about selling happiness, selling, uh, selling a good memory, right. and then associating their brand with that. But then on top of that, making it so that the consumers and their consumers are just so passionate about that, that they themselves are going to not only drive that word of mouth, like you said, but drive it in such an elevated, elevated form that it becomes a movement, just like you see uh, movements that topple governments uh, around the world. Right. Those those kind of strong movements can also be positive to support a brand. And uh, some of the big brands have that. So it's interesting that you say Coke. And I totally don't want to argue with you on your podcast at all, but <laughs> no, no. it's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, this is an example that, you know, I've used in pro more private conversation than anything, maybe in a Facebook rant or something, um, where, uh, and we've seen this more recently with H&M. Uh, I don't know if you mm -hmm. saw the H&M video, like, uh, sort of like, be yourself kind of woman stand up. Uh, they had women of all shapes and sizes and lesbians and hairy armpits and all this yes, stuff. Right. Yes, and of yes. course, like everybody's like, Oh my God, H and M is so with it. Um, but then there's a lot of, you know, uh, and sure that works on some level of the movement, but then there's like the, the BS detectors that are out there that I'm glad exist in this world. And the same thing goes with like a Coke happiness thing. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you're spreading happiness. Exactly. How are you doing that? When, you know, when it comes to movements, there are real movements of people doing things that are really changing the world in amazing ways and sacrificing their lives. And they do not have the deep pockets of Coke. And what is Coke really doing right. to make people happy? Like if, um, if they really wanted to make an impact, they should actually make an impact, not just have like ads of happy people drinking out of their classic bottles or like doing lovely little um, hipster things like um, back right. alley dinner parties and whatever else. But they sh they would like create opportunities for people to ri rise out of poverty or, you know, do stuff like that, that like um, actually makes people happy, like you know, that actually creates happiness that, you know, maybe they can find a way to reduce divisiveness in America right now, which is like, ah, crazy. Uh, you have, yeah, you sent me in one of those questions at a time, right? Like there are real, so when it comes, you know, and I wrote, wrote about this uh, back in, with the Woofie Factor years ago too, it's like, it can't smack of uh, greenwashing or pinkwashing or any sort of like, 
BS kind of washing of, of, of a brand. And it's just like a new way to say branding, right? Is this, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, movements or whatever, uh, or like, uh, uh, what do they, the corporate social responsibility, the CSR stuff, right? That's a whole, that's like a new way to sort of distract people from the fact that you're actually really kind of a shitty company. Um, and H&M <laughs> is getting that, is getting lambasted now because they're doing that. And then all these people are like, yeah, well, they have no women on their board and all this different, um, uh, all the ways that they treat uh, women workers in their factories and, and stuff. Right. poorly and they have hardly any women executives and all this different stuff like yeah okay empower women uh-huh mm, mm, yeah so put your money where your mouth is kind of thing so right. how so rant rant, I, rant. I'm glad, how no, do you I'm get around you, that and and is there a is there a, a unique way that you would approach that with uh your clients and potential clients Yes, and I'm glad you brought it up, and, and I'm glad that you challenged what I was saying, because truth be told, probably that Coca-Cola example wasn't the best of it, because when you when you talk about social marketing, social marketing in its true essence is about um, doing something for the consumer that, that uh, changes um, – changes their life or, or rather um, makes their life better in some way and either their life or the world around them or both. And um, that, that is, uh, you know, that's one of the tenets of, of social marketing, which I believe in. And, and you're right. I think some of, some of your, your sugar, sugar brands and, and others that are trying to trick you and like, Oh, look, happiness here, sugar, 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 happiness, yeah. um, maybe using a little bit of that amplification of, of the senses to create that movement, but in, in not quite the same way. So really to, to your point, um, I ideally look for an opportunity to use that maybe same elevation of an emotion that's going to create a movement, but to create one that is sincere and relevant and honest, that it is uh, truly going to change or improve, uh, not necessarily always change, but definitely improve the consumer's life and or uh, the, the world around that person, because as we know, millennials, Generation Z to follow, they're also socially conscious and, and environmentally conscious and, and brands that honestly are doing something to help the earth and the planet and them are going to win over others. And so that's really more of my focus. And I, I wouldn't, um, you know, uh, certainly Coca-Cola was a big client and I was very happy to have them. Yeah. I hear a little woofy in the background. Oh, yeah, they're having <laughs> dreams. That's the <laughs> Yes, I know when that happened. That's cute. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine what's going on. There. But yeah, so, so yeah, to your point, um, yes, I do believe that, um, you know, you can use, you can use powers for good and evil, right? Um, and so I really believe that this power should be harnessed for good so that, um, we can take clients through a journey to where we're connecting the dots with them to clients that are really interested because they, first and foremost, those clients are sincere. They're good. They have a strong product to your point of yeah. reputation marketing. I totally agree. If something's shitty, it's shitty. And probably that needs to be fixed before you try to hide it under the rug with any kind of, you know, crisis management or, or reputation management. Yeah. Um, because I think that um, 
people should be allowed to self-police and tell one another what's good and what's bad. So if everything's great, they're sincere, they really want, they really have a product or service that's going to improve their audience's lives, then I want to connect the dots and, and make a very compelling argument to those consumers that, hey, these guys are for real. Yeah. You know, these guys are for real and they're going to do something that really is going to make your life so much better. So I want to be that matchmaker. So if you know? you're still working with Coke, um, an amazing thing. Not anymore. But if you but... were, if you were going to pitch them again, an amazing thing for them to do would be to take on the sugar lobby and in actually um, like break up the whatever the cartel that is the sugar lobby that's out there and then um you know make their products even more responsible with choice that you know products mm -hmm. that taste that taste decent but also um like are maybe met, made with something that's a little bit healthier i don't know stevia yeah, yeah i don't it's but you know what two years from now they're going to tell us that stevia is terrible too <laughs> like so i don't want to put too much faith you know. on anything yeah i just try to for my but it's a plant yeah. it's a plant it's got to be okay yeah, well, so is the sugar cane so whatever um right. yeah yeah anyway so and and you know like and it's sometimes even if it's a plant it's like it's how they uh, exploit the people that pick the plants and do all that Yes, uh, right. It's always something. Right. But if you know, that's what these, that's what these a lot of these companies in, in today's age where we can see everything where these videos viral videos go around on Facebook that expose, you know, these terrible companies, um, you know, they have the opportunity at this point to in, you know, back to your point on reputation management is get ahead of that before that happens is do the right thing before they're exposed for not doing the right thing right before they're exposed right. to doing the crappy thing is actually do the right thing and boy i bet that would go so far in like renewing their brand and faith in their brand um you know and well, what do you think about a brand like um like dove for example which uh you know and their uh they've had different campaigns or sub campaigns, if you will, that have all been around this umbrella campaign of empowering real women woman. and young women, yeah. right? And real women, beauty, real, women, yeah. Dove, real beauty, or whatever. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I think they put. Uh, so, with when it comes to Dove, they have um, done a certain amount of putting their money where their mouth is, um, and they have made sure that they've gotten ahead of any sort of like somebody pointing behind the scenes and being like, "Yeah, that's." Um, yeah, you're you're just you're just trying to sell us products by uh -huh. by like placating our need to be uh, validated for having saddlebags or whatever, right? So, <laughs> uh, but they you know they've done a lot behind the scenes that has made it so that that's okay. I mean, but they you know they're they're making sidesteps, but I think they're still building. They're, they've done a lot of good work in building relationships and listening and implementing and changing over the years as well. So I've been, you know, um, I've been, it's not like I'm raw, raw dove, but uh, I, you know, I like their, um, I like uh, their, uh, what is it, that dry shampoo and I don't feel bad, oh. and I don't feel bad buying it. So uh, I, you know, I will continue to do to do that um, and not feel bad. But there's so many products out there, like in places that I can't, I just, I can't shop anymore after seeing that Facebook video. <laughs> like I just can't, 
<laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, because because you know if that was exposed in the hypocrisy and and you know maybe that's not going to hit their bottom line um, right away, but I think over time it it whittles away the consumer trust and in general like it's like um, peeing in the pool, right? Like it ruins it for everybody, <laughs> and uh, then we, what we end up with is a very, very low consumer trust index. I think it's Edelman that does the the trust index every year. And, you know, every year it just seems to get more and more dismal, right? That right. You know, people are like, yeah, I can't, I can't trust anything that brands say to me. And right. so we see this, we see this huge, like, um, surgeons of these, like, kind of little internet scrappy brands that are coming up mm. that are super well loved by millennials. Now they're going to turn around and disappoint everybody too at the end of the right. day. Some, you know, at some point, but like brands like Shinola, right? The, the Detroit based, you know, yeah, yay, Detroit, we make everything in Detroit. And um, mm -hmm. so, you know, they're, they've come up they're They're huge and very like loved by, by, um, millennials and uh, Warby Parker, the buy one, get one glasses. So they're actually, they've built social, they've built that movement right into their products, right? So that they're not paying lip service from day one, you know, and these are potentially, I don't know if you use them already, but really great potential case studies to use and to mm -hmm. show how like they're little Davids against these huge Goliaths and, and stealing so right. much of the market share because they build that right into the core of, of everything that um, they do rather than, you know, oh, well, I guess we have a couple extra million dollars. Let's, you know, spend it on making people happy or, you know, or saying <laughs> let's make people happy. Just be happy for goodness sake. You know, like so easy. <laughs> Just press the, the world is going to shit but be happy because uh, <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> so yes yeah. indeed yeah. um well so some of some of my listeners and viewers um are um marketers bloggers and um and i think um uh, they'll, they'll be impressed to know that you're also among all the other accolades you're a linkedin influencer and um, and it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you've um, you were an active blogger for some time, and it seems that you've shifted your content <laughs> over to LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Is that true? And and tell us about being an influencer. Yeah, so that's fancy. Um, <laughs> I was actually I was really lucky because. Uh, when LinkedIn launched their influencer program like before anybody else could do posts and stuff on LinkedIn. God, it was so many years ago. Uh, my book was, I think it was the time my book was coming out in like 2009. So, um, and I was like listed, that was the year that I was listed in Fast Company as one of the most influential women in tech. So, you know, they sent me an invite to be part of this. And I didn't really think much of it. I didn't, I think I put up one post or something and I was still very committed to uh, blogging, but um, because I wasn't blogging very often and you really, when you're, when you're blogging or doing video, you have to be really consistent. Like that's one of, um, one of the, there, there are, that's one of the rules that are for sure you have to follow is if you're not consistent mm -hmm. with your content, then people kind of like, 
they move on. <laughs> the, the world yeah. is full of distractions. So, and, and, you know, you have to be consistently good too, but you have to be consistent. And I, you know, I started working on my startup at the time I worked on a startup and that like completely consumed my life. And, you know, all this stuff that um, my blog really fell by the wayside. So when I came back and I started putting some posts on my blog, and there was crickets. <laughs> so um, I, I just decided like, oh, well, hey, look at um, my influencer column, which I had like two articles on had, mm -hmm. I think I had like 25,000 people following me at that time. I was like, that's pretty right. good. I'll put my, I'll put up one of my blog posts. And sure enough, that one got shared, you know, all, all across LinkedIn. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll just start cross posting. Uh, and then I eventually just didn't post anything on my blog and I just posted it on LinkedIn and I grew my audience on LinkedIn. I don't know where I'm at right now. Last I think I checked is like 130,000. And uh, so right. it just really became a great platform uh, for me. But but I like I think somebody coming into it today and saying like, I'm just going to use LinkedIn as my blogging platform. It's a lot harder than that. Like I was really lucky mm -hmm. that I was invited into this early adopter um, program. That's why they called it influencer. It was for like mm -hmm. um, CEOs and authors and stuff like that. Um, sure. And then they opened when they opened it up, I had the like I was already there and established and I had been putting up posts and they also ran this thing for a while where uh, and they still do it. It's really it's really cute. They send out like, here's an idea for a post. And if a bunch of you, you know, if you guys all write it, then we will feature it on our like feature discussion. And it would be like a topic really um, very like a non-controversial uh, topic, like sure, trends, sure. trends for 2012 or something uh, like that, yeah. right? Like what the, are you... top, the top 10 this, the nine things you should do. And so I jumped <laughs> on a few of those thinking like, what the hey, you know, they've given me this right. platform, I'll, wanna, I'll, I'll give them these posts. And those were actually because they featured them um, at this, this amazing time were huge uh, influx of, um, people who wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't have discovered me otherwise, um, came to me. So, you know, I've been really lucky right. on that platform, but there's a bunch of other platforms that I'm really bullish about as well. Like if I didn't have LinkedIn as a platform and it wasn't so good to me, mm -hmm. then I might try medium as well. And I think that mm -hmm. is a really, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah it's really mm -hmm. fantastic. And I think it's really great for people that are just starting out too, because there is an opportunity there to, if you are, if you're writing really good pieces and really unique, interesting, good pieces, um, they'll actually feature them. And their audience is really huge uh, there as well. And because it's tied into Twitter, when you tag people, there's all sorts of advantages to Medium. Um, right. Yeah, I just like, like I'd love to think that blogs, you know, having your own blog and your own you know, platform is it's romantic and it's this old ideal. <laughs> and we all talked about it like being your identity and nobody owns your content sure. but you. But I just feel like the dance destinations in general, uh, whether we like it or not, are disappearing and you can't buck that trend. Sure. Like you look, I'm just going to take you off like on a journey here and just trust me, I'll bring you back. But you know, you look, you, with you. you go to China and you look at something like WeChat and I don't know if you've seen mm -hmm. what goes on there, but in WeChat, it's not just a chat app. Like they do everything. They 
they order their food, they organize their gatherings, they, they order their, their dog walkers, they, you know, communicate with their banks, they um, pay their bills, they um, uh, pay their taxes, like everything is done in this chat app, right? In this one wow. place. And, and I'm pretty sure that Facebook like looks at that and that's what, that's why they added the chat bots and that sort of thing. And yeah. they're like, that's yeah. what we want to be. Thankfully yeah. here we have, we don't have the same like government driven monopolies. Um, and hopefully we won't in the near future yes. either, but, <laughs> uh, but there is more and more of the, cause it's convenient for customers. Right. So, I think a lot of Chinese consumers they don't they don't complain about it as much um, because it's so convenient. Like if you could do everything in one app without you just wave your phone and it's done. Like how much easier could it be in your life? Of course, yeah, they're they don't realize what they're giving up as well. But um, you know, we have that here too. We do we do that as well um, in our lives. So much of my life belongs to uh, the big three: Google, Apple, and Facebook. Um, yeah, I think with a lot of us. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Anyways, that was. Yeah, my I think you see journey. Black. <laughs> I don't know where. I was no, here. no, I, I, no. I followed that journey. It was good because actually, it's a great segue to a question I was going to ask you about Facebook because you're right. I mean, um, Mark Zuckerberg has made no secret that uh, Facebook Messenger is a big priority of theirs. Uh, maybe second to virtual reality, which he's investing quite a bit of resources in, but definitely he's been clear in the past that he would like to see Messenger become, you know, the replacement for your native message, um, you know, SMS message app on your phone um, so that that's where you're communicating and that's where, same like WeChat, you would be um, communicating with merchants and purchasing, maybe booking travel and the chatbots would use artificial intelligence to be able to pick up on the conversation and serve up the right uh, stuff that you need, right? Yeah. So here's a little real life and a real life thing that happened to me. Um, so I ordered um, a pair of dog diapers for my one dog. She's she has some accidents in the in the house from a Canadian company. We won't judge. Yeah. No judging. Uh, from a Canadian company that was like on Dragon's Den or something. I, that's not where I discovered them, but that's a side note. Anyways, I ordered it from them, and they had in the checkout ability for me to Facebook connect my checkout. And I'm an idiot, so I just Facebook connected my checkout because I thought it would be faster. And what it did is it went straight into my messenger. And and so they've created and and I got they have a bot that told me that my order would had shipped and sent me my tracking number. It was a bot. Wow. Um, wow. So this little company, this little dog diaper company has a <laughs> bot that I basically woke up and tells me that and and I'm pretty sure it's going to send me future messages that that's that's what they were planting. Um, say, I think you're out of diapers. <laughs> you need to order more. Cars yeah. stop talking about stop talking about your nail polish. You need doggy diapers. Exactly. So now I'm chatting with the doggy diaper bot um and who's telling me when my doggy diapers are going to be delivered. But what's next? I mean that that seems like an overuse of overreach of technology for like something they could have emailed me pretty easily, but that they did right. that, that they invested in that. 
um, is really interesting to me. And I, I think I'm going to yeah. see, we're going to see a lot more of that uh, in the near future. Well, so let me ask you about this, about Facebook. So I've been seeing this push now, of course, not just with Messenger, but with Facebook as a whole, that um, Zuckerberg and the team seem to be really um, looking to make Facebook your portal into the internet. And it almost reminds me of us going backwards in time to when AOL came in, right? Yeah. And, and they became uh, the portal to online and uh, and all those other companies that I told you about uh, before all started shutting down because AOL dominated the place. And so everybody went to AOL first, uh, even when um, there were other ways to connect to the net, there are some people that were so connected to the AOL account, they didn't know how to get to a browser without connecting AOL first. Um, so sometimes I feel that um, Facebook wants to head in that direction to where um, you won't do anything until you go to Facebook first. Do you see that? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. That's their wet dream. Absolutely. <laughs> like it's, um, but you know, they're, they're up against some big competition. And that's, that's, that's our saving grace, right? Is that, um, you know, number one, Google owns like a big half of that, uh, our big, portion of the chunk that they would need to create, like to finish that connection uh, of right. being swallowing the, the internet. Uh, Apple owns um, a lot of people's hardware, hot heart and souls, um, and um, have done a really good job at um, trapping us into um, other other parts of their life with Apple and, you know, with Apple pay and stuff coming out. Um, and then, right. um, you know, there's, there are, there are now new players that, you know, are looking like they could be a real threat. Snap, Snap Inc., which was Snapchat yep. has, mm-hmm. um, has some real opportunities. Like a lot of people don't, quite see it yet but they have some real opportunities to go in that direction as well now that they're snapping they've they have plans and they're developed you know spectacles are coming out i want spectacles i, I don't even hardly go on snapchat <laughs> and i think they're cool like they understand they look cool yeah they look like something you would wear they understand they understand um connecting with customer like google doesn't like facebook doesn't um they've right. got the apple sensibility of being able to connect with the customer with like the mobile like know-how and um, they're so good at hooking people in with um, like is then and they they make the right investments in technology so who knows where they're coming they're going in the future as well so we do have a little bit of a saving get grace in that um, Facebook isn't the only player um, it's a big player but it isn't the only player right. plus Facebook like I think they they have made some like they have not they've ignored a lot of the basics in what they're doing that um uh yeah it's, their search is still abysmal um right you know, things right. get lost in your facebook all the time right whereas google google is so far ahead on the search part yeah you know every time right. i go in my just my gmail um they have like a new advance of like oh that i have emails from like 10 years ago that i can find in in like a two 
the type of two or three letters, you know, like they're, right. they're able to do that. Whereas Facebook, like a post from a week ago, I can't freaking find like the whole <laughs> life of me. Right. And let, and they want to eventually, and you're right, it's been difficult, but they want to be able to search the web through uh, Facebook and they can't even get their searchability within their platform to work properly. Exactly. So they're miles away from getting uh, anywhere near where they need to be. And that's really probably the secret ingredient. If they could somehow um, build a, uh, a search engine or align with Google, which will never happen, but, um, and have that kind of power, then they'd be, they'd be off to the races. Yeah. Right? If the big, if the big three and now the fourth that's coming up, were like the power Rangers, we would be in trouble. Power Rangers <laughs> right. unite. And then we'd be like, it'd be WeChat and we'd be dead. Yeah. That would be it for us. <laughs> that's right. See, I, I did, I did back to the super friends, super friend. <laughs> Sorry, Power Rangers was way too millennial of a reference. I'm sorry. I'm not millennial. I'm Gen X, but I, I do know Power Rangers because my, my son uh, used to watch them. So I had that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so um, wrapping up, <laughs> I want to, I want to, you know, great uh, jump off point from Power Rangers. Um, <laughs> so again, any, uh, I know people have been in. Can oh, I just ahead. say one thing? Uh, uh, your thing. your company is also named after an X-Men. That is very correct. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I, yes, when, when I went to see one of the, uh, uh, the X-Men movies, I was uh, very excited to hear my name repeated often on the big screen. I was like, oh, I'm famous. So, yeah. So we both have had <laughs> yes. companies named after X-Men. So. Pretty interesting. I don't know. There's something there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you've been so generous with your time and we've talked about some really great stuff and we've, we've gone around the world and back. And, um, and so I know what we didn't do is we, we didn't do too much of a, a plug for, for you and your company and, and, and your, your YouTube um, series. And I know that those listening and watching the replay are going to want to check it out. So where can you direct them? Yeah. So my company is truly social Inc. Uh, it's truly social.ca. And um, you can also find everything, all my links at tarahunt.com. It's pretty simple. If you can't remember the other part, uh, YouTube channel is uh, YouTube slash Tara Hunt. Uh, once again, pretty straightforward. And otherwise, you can find me, Miss Rogue, um, everywhere else. Fantastic. Well, Tara, thanks, thanks again so much. And um, I hope that um, we can have you back again sometime and maybe even bring you into a panel discussion if you'd like. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Listen, that's it for our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me on Thursday um, at uh, 9, uh, I'm sorry, at Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Um, and I believe that's uh, 5 p.m. Pacific uh, Daylight Time. I'll be uh, interviewing Mr. Carlos Phoenix. Um, who is a live streamer, uh, film, video producer, um, and a good friend. And uh, so you want to check check out uh, that interview as well. And um, always uh, be sure to use the hashtag Wagner Live to send me your feedback, uh, communicate with the show, and for links to future live video broadcasts. And if you're interested in being part of the live video audience for future broadcasts and for replays, um, visit Wagner. Dot live. Until next time, this is Wagner signing off. <laughs>